listening to Inside Healthy Teams by Apricot Consulting, a series that draws on the experience of experts to unearth the principles of personal and team leadership. For more information, go to apricotconsulting.us. Welcome to Inside Healthy Teams from Apricot Consulting, revealing conversations with execs designed to provide leaders practical insights to build healthy organisations which strengthen their competitive advantage. I'm your host, James McHugh, Head of Corporate Social Impact at Apricot Consulting, and today I'm joined here by Kylie Adenayi. Kylie is a project and change management practitioner with 15 years of experience managing change. She has more than 20 years of experience working across local and federal government, healthcare, not-for-profit, utilities, transport, mining, manufacturing, and food and beverage. Her current role at Major Road Projects Victoria focuses on connecting social enterprises to commercial opportunities in the civil infrastructure industry. So welcome, Kylie. Great to have you with us. Thanks for having me, James. Our discussion today is on the topic of social procurement in the civil infrastructure industry. Um, And before we jump into the discussion, Kylie, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your experience with social procurement and why you're so passionate about it. Thanks for that, James. Um, Look, social procurement for me is such an amazing opportunity to be exploring in Victoria and, and the world. It's such an emerging idea for us in Australia, but it's been around for many, many years. And whenever I think about how we solve these really big, challenging issues in the world, social procurement is the perfect mechanism. It's all about employment. It's all about getting people into opportunities where they might have missed out on mainstream employment. And it's not about handing out charity. It's not about gifting people anything. It's actually getting people who are interested in working into the workplace. It is utilising the skills that they've got and, and working with people in ways that enhance those skills and gives them those additional supports that they might need to be able to stay in a mainstream employment opportunity. And, you know, the opportunity that we've got within Victoria at the moment under the social procurement framework is just perfect for that. Great, great. And I'm keen to hear more about that framework in a moment. But for our listeners that uh, maybe are less familiar with the work of MRPV, can you give us a bit of an overview of the work that MRPV does? Yeah, sure. So Major Road Projects Victoria is a government body that essentially plans and develops major road projects within Victoria. We are quite unique um, because we have a breadth right across regional and metro Melbourne. Mm. Um, so right across regional Victoria, we are uh, working on major road projects which pre- present opportunities for regional employment, working with regional businesses, etc. cetera. Uh, major road projects Victoria has been around since the 1st of January 2019 and was established an, as an administrative office uh, under the Department of Transport. Great. And and you mentioned a moment ago about the social procurement framework. Um, Love to uh, hear a little bit more about how the social procurement framework is is impacting and what sort of role it's playing in social procurement here in Victoria. Yeah, so the social procurement framework was brought in 
in September 2019. So interestingly, uh, sorry, 2018, um, around the same time as Major Road Projects Victoria was established. And um, there were a couple of agencies prior to that that were using concepts of social procurement across their delivery of projects. So Level Crossing Removal Authority, for example, were leading uh, in exploring concepts of social procurement. But the social procurement framework essentially um, formalised that arrangement and it was introduced by the government because of an appreciation that there are these really complex issues and challenges that the government needs to address. And the wonderful thing about it is it essentially says, you know, if you're going to work with government, our expectation is that you will work with us to solve these, these large challenging issues that exist within our community. And by opening the door and exploring opportunities within our supply chain and uh, essentially encouraging and um, rewarding providing opportunities to individuals that would be normally missing out on mainstream employment, it means that our infrastructure projects are not just delivering infrastructure, they're actually delivering longer social change for our community which I think everyone should be really proud of. And, um, you know, working within government, it's it's an institution that is it, it's very slow to change and I think that's an appreciation. And frameworks like this actually provide um, a mechanism for people who are very passionate about this space to have those conversations that have been very difficult to have in the past. And so just in the last couple of years, there's been some really amazing developments um, and uh, opportunities to introduce organisations that would never have made it into our supply chain that are now working with us hand-in-hand hand to deliver our infrastructure projects. Fantastic. Great. And, and that's, the, I suppose, the impact that MRPV and the social procurement framework is having, which is, which is great to hear. Um, MRPV, as you mentioned, has only been around a couple of years, so has the, has the framework but in that time, how have you seen MRPV develop its approach to social procurement um, and maybe what can we expect over the next couple of years? Yeah, so Major Road Projects Victoria took a lot of its lead in the initial stages from big programs like the Metro Tunnel and Level Crossing Removal Authority. Um, and essentially there was some really great inroads working with some of the really large infrastructure companies and construction companies within Australia and sort of global organisations. So we were, we were looking to them to set our minimum requirements for our contractors. So we have a number of minimum requirements um, that we pass on to our contractors and encourage them to meet and expect them to meet as part of their contractual requirements. But what we found is that with Major Road Projects Victoria, we are not at the scale of Metro and um, Level Crossing. So we've had to create a really unique approach that, that works for our contractors yeah. and works for the scale of projects that we're working on. So although our targets are very similar and our minimum requirements are quite similar to those really extraordinarily large projects, um, we've developed a really unique tailored approach that makes a lot of sense for the lower tier construction companies. Yeah. And in doing that, we've been able to get some really great outcomes by working on the ground and working hand in hand, um, utilising a active client model, which essentially means that we don't just set minimum requirements and walk away. We actually um, come up with 
the minimum requirements so we share that with our contractors we explain to them what the policy context are, context is but then we work with them hand in hand across various touch points um, during that planning process to make sure that everyone's confident that they can achieve their targets and their minimum commitments so we've had a lot of success in doing that and yeah I'd love to talk to you a little bit more about that yeah yeah please and you've got a uh, you've got your five touch point I suppose approach um, that I'll, I want to hear in a moment but just quickly um, you mentioned about the scale of the projects that you that MRPV has uh, what what is the scale for our listeners uh, we range of projects well we have some very large um, PPPs, uh, public-private partnerships, which run into the billions of dollars. Yeah. But many of our projects sit in the sort of $100 million space, which, you know, it doesn't sound like it's a small project, but in the infrastructure space, it's a relatively small project yeah. um, from an infrastructure perspective. Yeah, great. And uh, those five touch points with the contractor that you mentioned uh, a moment ago, Firstly, what's the purpose of these five touch points? And then I'm, I'm keen to hear what uh, what each of them are, I suppose. So the reason we've come up with these touch points is because we've, we appreciate that there are some really complex commercial realities within our contractors that are at play. We understand that, you know, when you're going through a traditional tendering process, that there's so many things that can change between the point of going through a tender and actually getting to contract award. So we've designed this to really focus in on the reasons why a social benefit provider may not make it from the initial tendering um, approach or the tendering submission yep. through to the actual delivery on the ground. And for us, we were we were seeing lots of evidence of social benefit providers being engaged in that initial conversation, but never actually being um, awarded delivery opportunities down the track. So we've designed this to really um, focus in on those challenges that are faced by our construction companies and and by um, the social benefit providers themselves. Great, great. And tell us, so yeah, run us through uh, what those five touch points are, Coley. So at the very first point, we, we sit down with our contractors and talk them through our minimum requirements. And so for MRPV, we have an Aboriginal employment target of 2.5% and we have a social procurement spend target of 3%. Uh, and inside that, we've got a 1% uh, Aboriginal business spend target. So we spend this time talking our contractors through uh, the requirements that we have from those minimum requirements. And we also talk them through our expectations in terms of um, submitting a social procurement commitment plan. So we explained to them that we require them to essentially list out um, the uh, organisations they're planning to work with um, and any employment um, exercises that they're going to go through as well. So whether that is recruitment of individuals, whether it's directly or indirectly through agencies, we ask them to essentially explain to us how they're going to tackle the social procurement outcomes. So that's the first touch point. Great, great. And this the... Yeah, so the second touch point is we we have this great opportunity where we can actually connect social benefit providers to our contractors who are in their live procurement phases. So this has been really successful. And interestingly enough, in the COVID environment has been even more successful because we've been able to get the right people in the room 
um, that is the buyers, the people that are pulling together the procurement plans. Yeah. We've gotten them in the room. We essentially give those social benefit providers an opportunity to pitch to our contractors. Yeah. Um, and we often also um, start the sessions off with some uh, pointing information, whether that is our pipeline information to inform our contractors and the social benefit providers, or we might also talk about some things that might be happening within our organisation from a commercial perspective on what might be challenging to us or what the trends we might be seeing in our data um, around social procurement outcomes. Great, great. So the, the subcontractors, they get that information, they're able to pitch to, to you and the contractor um, in that second stage. Great. That's and that, right. And that's, a, that's obviously quite a new development in the way social procurement has worked for MRPV. It is, it is. This is an emerging area for us and we found that there is certainly a perception within our construction company more, uh, companies more broadly that there might be a, a lack of capability or capacity within yeah. the social benefit providers, but sometimes as well there's a little bit of a misperception of what a social enterprise or an Aboriginal business might be. Yeah. And so yeah. just getting people in the same room can really dispel some of the myths around um, the professionalism of social yeah. benefit providers because there are lots, um, as you know, that are already delivering work within the civil infrastructure industry mm. uh, and they certainly understand the requirements that exist within the social procurement framework. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, if they're going to be working together, setting it up from the uh, up at the start, having that meet and greet is obviously quite useful. The third touch point. So the third touch point is when our construction companies will essentially submit back to us a commitment plan, a social procurement commitment plan. And side by side to that is a workforce development plan, which will basically outline strategies for supplier diversity um, and also employment diversity. And so we have a look at that plan and we essentially have a conversation about it again and say, you know, this might be a great way to move forward. There might be some other opportunities that you haven't explored. Um, and there might also be some tweaks that can be made to, to potentially strengthen uh, their submission. Yeah. And we we allow them to basically go away with that and develop that a little bit further. Yeah. And then we can finally lock in a plan that everyone's comfortable with. Okay, great. And having that back and forth with the subcontractors, the social enterprises, do you find that they are able to strengthen their submission by having that input? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And in fact, we've found a number of cases recently where there might be some um, some uh, blind spots yeah. around where our contractors might be looking for social benefit providers or not. Yeah. Um, and I think there's also a bit of a tendency to go to the usual players. So, you know, if you're in the civil infrastructure industry already, there are some players, there are some organisations that have had some really great runs on the board and they've got yeah. reputations for themselves and they're doing some amazing things. But sometimes that also does mean that some of the smaller players and some of the smaller organisations are not necessarily getting a foot in the door. And yeah. so we have an opportunity to present at that point to our contractors some alternatives that they may not have explored and we're finding they're making their way into those plans too. Yeah, great. And would you encourage contractors to look more broadly than maybe their preferred delivery partners from previous projects? Oh, look, not necessarily. I think sometimes, obviously, when you're pulling together your own um, procurement plan and your delivery plan, 
it makes a lot of sense to go to a, your usual providers. It makes yeah. a lot of sense for you to minimise your risk by doing that. Okay. But at yeah. the same time, if you have a bit of an open mind about exploring new opportunities, yeah. we've had some really great um, success stories around introducing new opportunities. Yeah. And that doesn't necessarily mean that work is being diverted away from the organisations that are, be, are quite successful in this space. It just actually means that there might be uh, opportunities in different supply chain areas mm. that haven't been explored before. Yeah, and, and the exciting thing is, is that in, in the in the social enterprise space, these these the, the capabilities uh, continue to grow and develop um, all the time as well. So the professionalism, and I could imagine the submissions are, are becoming more sophisticated and more uh, more equipped, I suppose, to deliver on their work as well. Absolutely. And I think the other opportunity that we have, because we are connecting the social benefit providers with our contractors at that early phase, social benefit providers are very innovative. They're very robust and they they think out of the box. So if you um, provide a social benefit provider enough time, they will find an opportunity within your supply chain. They will find something within your thinking, within your current uh, procurement model that they can slot into and enhance. Um, yeah. And so absolutely, if you start the conversation early enough in your planning phase, there are so many more opportunities than if you are halfway through your project and scrambling to meet a target. So we certainly we certainly encourage the early engagement um, and even outside of the project um, of a project that might be live, we certainly would also encourage our contractors to come along um, and attend sessions out of um, sequence of their projects because it means that if if you're um, in that conversation before a project is live, again, it creates opportunities that might not have been apparent when you're in a project. Mm. Yeah. And the fourth touch point, I think we're up to four, aren't we? We're up we to are four. up to four. We're up <laughs> we're to up four. Up. So the fourth one is our reporting. So we have um, quite a sophisticated reporting portal. So we request our uh, our contractors to report to us on a monthly basis. They provide all sorts of information to us around the organisations they're working with, uh, the spend that they've got with those individual organisations, but also workforce analysis information around individuals that are working for them within the cohorts that are covered by the social procurement framework. So in doing that, we have this amazing resource at the end of each month which we can mine through to see what our trends are and to see how individual projects are tracking. We can also see the organisations that are being worked with across different projects uh, and the success stories. Um, and we can line that up with the original social procurement commitment plans that people have submitted. Uh, and we sit down with our project teams, our internal project teams on a monthly basis and run them through how their projects are, are running, how they're tracking. And we share uh, across the program the success stories uh, and, and the things that are happening on the ground that are working well. And we also share with them the things that might not be working so well so that our internal project teams can prompt the contractors um, where they might need some, uh, some additional focus, whether that's employment or whether that's um, supply chain spend. Great, great. And then the last touch point. And the last one. So we also have a quarterly review with each of our projects. So every three months we uh, have a deep dive into their 
reporting and we go through and, and it's an open conversation. So this is not a one-way conversation. We deep dive into how the employment, um, the Aboriginal employment target is tracking. We deep dive into the social procurement spend and we also do a deep dive into the major project skills guarantee. So I guess the point to make there is the team I sit within we cover the majority of those government policy requirements around Aboriginal employment spend, uh, Aboriginal business spend, social procurement spend, and then the major project skills guarantee as well. And we find that that, that combination of skill set within our team is really valuable uh, because in a number of cases we've been able to divert some of the major project skills guarantee hours towards disadvantaged Victorians. Uh, and that's been, again, quite a success story as you would often find the same sorts of people coming through those, those programs. But now we're seeing much more diversity coming through um, in the apprentices and trainees and cadets, which is great. Great. And that was going to be my last question was uh, it's obviously quite a new approach, but even early on we're seeing some really promising signs. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, in fact, we are we are increasing our social procurement spend month on month. Yeah. Um, that's easy to say. And, look, you could suggest that that's because the budget for infrastructure projects across Victoria has increased due to the big build. Yeah. But certainly evidence from our side is that there is much more diversification of our workforce, much more diversification of our supply chain, and we've had probably a doubling of the amount of organisations that we've been working with across our supply chain as well over the last 12 months. So there is significant evidence to suggest that this early intervention is making a big difference. Great. Well, Kylie, we've come to the end of our time, so thank you. And uh, thanks to our listeners for joining us on Inside Healthy Teams. If you enjoyed today's podcast and wish to check out our other episodes, please rate and subscribe or you can head to our website or LinkedIn page. Just search for Apricot Consulting. Thanks for listening to Inside Healthy Teams by Apricot Consulting. We hope you found it helpful. And if you did, it would help us if you could rate and review this episode on your podcast platform and subscribe for more episodes. For more information, go to apricotconsulting.us.